0: This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Yes. Um, The next um, lecture is going to be on something which kind of straddles both a unique facet of man, and really a, a, a Hizboneness in its own right of uh Akadosh Baruch Hu. Um, as we've mentioned each time in the beginning, our broad topic now is different Hizboneness that lead a person to and confirms to a person the idea of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, um, as we understand it, We've gone through different issues of creation, and now we're going to look at something unique to man on the one hand, but unique in the world, which really is above. It it it, it transcends men, and it is something in its own right to be misboning. And that's the following. The um, let's use language that many earlier uh, works used um, specifically the Ikrim just use this terminology but it's a terminology that's not restricted to him it's restricted to others he says Ahava in the sense of positive feelings are associated with three different areas in other words the word good and bad are used in three different connotations. Uh, Rashi Tevis is Ta'am, Tes Ain Mem. The first one is Arev. That's the lowest one. And that means a positive sensation with our sensory organs. So, somebody puts a piece of chocolate in your mouth, it's good. Um, you, you, It's a hot day and somebody puts the air conditioning on, it's good. A person is sweaty and goes into a <coughs> bath, it's good. That good is, means the positive physical um, I- experience. Uh, that is a good that's associated with all animals. That's a good that is very easily translated into um, computer language. For instance, we um, we can say we can tell a robot, go there. If if you touch on a wall, back off. If it's clear, keep going. If it's dark, put the light on. In other words, good in a very physical sense, positive feedback, whether through the senses or whatever, that is good on its first level. The second level is called mo'il, which let's just, I guess, literally would mean effective or efficient. That's one step much further along, and that has to do with the abstract thinking that we said before. For instance, if chocolate tastes good and the air conditioning feels good, not eating, working hard, and sweating to save up money to buy an air conditioner and a chocolate-making machine um, is more. It's good. It's a good job. It's a good job may mean that you enjoy the lunches and the air conditioning, but usually it means that you enjoy, that the work itself gives you the money under the conditions that you can maximize physical enjoyment. So it's an abstraction. A little kid does not understand good in that sense. School is not good because it's boring, dreary, whatever it is. And the idea that with enough schooling he can get the type of job to give him the, the career which will um, give him all the good things, the pleasant things, that's beyond the child because a child is very, very physical and doesn't think in abstract terms of the um, effective or efficient as it, as, as it may be. So that is something that requires das of a person. I don't think animals have that type of das. Um, I'm not, uh, again, it's very hard to speak on behalf of animals. There there are little experiments here and there, but they're very small, small little loops of behavior. For instance, the crow will pick up a rock and break the thing with it. There is some sort of rudimentary use of A to get B, but I don't know if it's planned or just an instinct. I I really wouldn't wager, and it doesn't make a difference. And that was kind of the thing we discussed last time humans having it. What about computers? So, a computer to some degree, you can program it. For instance, what is, anyone who's used MapQuest or GPS and will, uh, will ask the computer, what is the quickest way um, to get from point A to B? What is the most fuel efficient way? What is the most scenic Mm -hmm. way, et cetera, et cetera? Um the computer can do it because it has a program. It can work out a program. It doesn't create programs, and that we spoke about last time, the creative thinking. But it, we can translate, um, we can translate Moel into uh, an algorithm. That's, in other words, it's a formula. Moel is the abstract mathematical formulations of that which is, um, which is pleasant, so we we can say the way to get from point A to point B is such and such and such and such, and, such, and uh, computer can work with it. So we have the second degree, which is called moil. It's not; it's an abstraction of sorts. It's not a physical reality, and you can't a computer can't sense it, but you can adapt an algorithm for mechanical processing and produce it. Um, it can create it, but produce it, it can, once you give it the algorithm. That's fine. and um, we also are able to logically make sense of it. Why is working at a good job good? Because one sweats a little bit, and um, and then one gets lots and lots of very big pleasures. So one needs to, um, spend x amount of years in school, which is tough and not pleasant. But, um, if you add up at the end of the life, the the pleasant sensations versus the not pleasant sensations. Pleasant sensations win, or at least we assume that's the way it happens, and everything is very, very good. That is the world of Moel. Then there's a world called Tov, which means good in the moral sense of good, In, in in the most absolute way you talk about good. This is good, and helping other people is good. Stealing is bad. Now, what? how do we understand that good and that bad? Um, well, one way of saying it is, it is if you, you go to jail, if you steal, that's why it's bad. If someone else has an unpleasant sensation, which still is hard to understand why it would bother me particularly, that's a second way of saying it, the good is either because everybody widely respects you or everybody says, wow, you're great, or um, the, the, um, it, it produces in you pleasant sensations. When you do good things, you, you tingle all over and you feel really good about yourself. So we can take moral good and translate in terms of some sort of physical receptiveness. I think most of us would be highly, highly, highly uh, uncomfortable with that definition. Um, we we would say it, we really think that that's stretching it. In other words, the logic of if you help other people, they will help you. It might be true, but we definitely don't think that um, (coughs) volunteering to help people is the equivalent of insurance policy. And that's all there is to it. We, We feel uncomfortable. So, there's a second uh, train of thought which goes like this. It is like the second type of good. Um, it's a society where everybody helps everybody else and nobody takes everybody else is a mutually pleasant, effective, efficient society. Societies that are corrupt, such as in let's say Russia or third world countries. Everybody's bribing, everybody's stealing, and everybody's murdering and plundering. Um, basically, nobody has because you can never be sure of having it. So, the effective way to run a society is <laughs> by having the best way to run a society is by having everybody doing the good things. Um, it's a little more clever than the first way, but honest to goodness, the argument itself is also a shallow argument. Let's say I was born in in a, in, in a city kid, um, no no known father mother on drugs, zilch money, no education, and not, not even inclination. I'm not out. And I have no money, played with gangs and so on. And I can steal somebody else's money. This guy is a multimillionaire and I can pocket a half a million of his. It would barely make a dent on his, on, on, on his fortunes. Um, the argument that, how would you like it if somebody would take from you doesn't really hold much water, because um, I'm not going to be in that position ever unless I get some money. Um, I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless. Yes, there's a story of the guy who made it great, but we all know that 99% of the kids are not going to make it. And the fact that for society as a whole, it's much better, to be honest, I couldn't really care less. And the the, effective, the, the efficiency and effectiveness of society is not doesn't really, really interest us to such a degree. It's not the motivation for um, for not stealing for for somebody in that position. It's the truth, the honest truth. It's not even motivation for us. Now, so what is the motivation? Um, because at this point, um, we 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 start having to think that there is possibly another dimension to the world, which is not physical, not an abstraction of the physical, but it's a reality in its own right that transcends any of the physical things in the world. In other words, um, no, there is, for instance, let's go back, let's use as as an analogy and something we, we mentioned last time. If I look around at a room with the eyes of an engineer and everything is most perfectly efficient thing and I don't like the room yet. Something about it bugs me. I come to the realization that there is something called aesthetics that I relate to. There is an an organ, quote-unquote, there is a part of my brain that is turned on by things that are aesthetic and turned off by things that are not aesthetic. And it, it exists. In other words, aesthetics is a thing that exists because I have an organ that senses aesthetics. So I make that move. A person has in himself an organ, quote unquote, um, w- w- an aspect, an organ, something that we want to, whatever it is that we, we're going to describe it as, that relates to good and bad in a way that cannot be translated as simply a a version of the other good and bad. Um, Now, that, quote unquote, organ is called the conscience. Now let's talk a little bit about it. When we think about it, so we're sitting back and we're thinking about this, and we're saying to ourselves, um, we have pleasant feelings when we do good things, quote unquote, and let's not argue what good is. Let's take the things that are fairly common: um, helping other people, being honest about oneself, being modest. Let's say whatever it is, things that are universal. Uh, not without going into any uh, points about what is. What are those good things? But generally, I feel good about these things. And I feel bad about the bad things: about stealing, about murder, about lying, etc., um, etc. Et now, so one way of looking at it is saying, listen. It's like aesthetics. Um, what do I care if whether, you, you know, why it is that I like red or blue or some symmetry or whatever it is. If you like it, do it. If you don't like it, don't do it. So by that line of argument, if it's a very subjective feeling and the reason for it being good or bad is the feeling of good and bad, and that's all there is to it. It's a, so one person has a very quirky aesthetic sensations, so or Some people have to walk into the room and one book is slightly misplaced; they can't bear it. Um, we would think the person is crippled by his aesthetic sense, but it's fine. If you don't like it, then just you know make sure everything's set up and everything's fine. So, so, so if the reason for good and bad is simply the pleasure, immediate pleasure and pain, then um, it's really relative. Um, the guys like chocolate ice creams. I can't say there's something wrong with you that you don't like vanilla ice cream. Whatever it is, you know, as long as it's, it's a attainable, do it. If not, not. So a Nazi who enjoyed shooting people, well, that's what he enjoyed. Some people enjoy fishing. Some people enjoy painting. Some people enjoy shooting people. Um, I can't call them bad people. I, I, may f- now, I may fight them because I don't want to be the target of their bullets, and that's my job. But I could not say, good or bad, any more than I can call a tiger bad and a zebra good, even though the tiger hunts the zebra, not the other way around, tigers are tigers, zebras are zebras, each one's got its own nature that's installed in them, that's what they do, so a Nazi gets his pleasure from murdering people, some people get their pleasure from helping people, and um, each to his own, that's if, that's if, if the conscious was the reason, and the, the end all of it, it's a quirk in a person's personality, and each one, you know, tries to do what he likes, and we do good, and so if we tell a kid, do good things, you'll really like it, you'll really, really like it, you'll be so happy. If that's the reason, if that defines it, with that it ends, then we really have no good or bad that's objective in any sense of the word, and we certainly don't feel that way. The second level is that this is the line of 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 thinking that evolutionists have produced because the world does not contain anything more than um things you know which and and systems that those are two things the world does contain or it contains laws and systems, so we can translate uh, the quote unquote good and the quote unquote bad into um into uh, systems into, into the moral, into the effective and efficient. So people with altruistic genes have made for, for societies that are better because when there's cooperation, people can get a lot more done. And selfish genes have produced societies that are less effective, less efficient, and therefore the um, it, it 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 we've developed those genes are much more beneficial for the race, and that's why they're there. And every single gene is explained that way, as with Lishitose, Every single gene we have in us is a, a breeding that brought out a gene which produced the most effective and efficient. Now, so A, it just boils down again to a sensation. So we've produced the people, the societies that have the most people who feel yummy when they do a chesed have survived. The people... The societies that that feel yucky when they do a chesed haven't survived because they lack a mechanism to survive. So all it is is feelings that we have based on genes, the same genes that tell us whether we like chocolate or vanilla better, tells us whether we like chesed or gneva better, and that produces. So first of all, we've reduced it once again to a very, very physical, the conscience is simply an organ that senses physical type of things and some people like this and like that. And secondly, now that I understand why I'm so hung up on chesed, I can condition myself out of it. Um, And we can uh, we educate ourselves. Besides which, um, the argument that it's better for the race gives me a tremendous key to doing something because We all believe, supposedly, that the race should try to preserve itself. We've gotten smart enough to realize that the only thing important is that we should enjoy ourselves. People do not have, educated, intelligent, modern people do not produce enough kids to perpetuate the race. And you need to have over two kids to perpetuate the race point something, minimal, to take into account the people dying, etc., sick, whatever it is, and we tell somebody, you must have three kids because that's the only way the human race will survive. And we'll mutter something about it, but at the end of the day, the real answer is the heck with the human race. I mean, I certainly wouldn't want anybody to die a horrible death with an atom bomb, but if people just kind of gradually um, live and die, so be it. No great tragedy in that, and I'm not going to spend all my life uh, with tuitions and, and raising kids and doctors and medical insurance not be able to enjoy life to its fullest because I'm giving for the human race the human race is an intangible nonsensical entity that doesn't really speak to me I mean I you know there's a lot of nice talk about it but at the end of the day Western <laughs> civilization is not preserving the human race It's it's the it's so the world of Islam, it's, it's, the, it's the Latino world, it's not the Western world. The Western world is, is, is at below reproductive capacity, and nobody seems to be terribly, terribly inclined. So we're not, we don't care about it. So if I tell somebody it's a lot more effective and efficient for the human race if we will keep doing chesed, well, um, if it's at the expense of what I want to do with myself, the, the heck with the human race. That's the honest truth. And we don't believe it, nobody, the, you know, people will, will, will always get very indignant, and they say, do you mean to say evolutionists are not moral people, There's some wonderful, wonderful people? I agree, and because they're evolutionists in speech, but they're, they're, they're not, it's erab Beperv Echad honestly, the feelings of good inside them, they haven't suppressed, and they're not consistent, it, 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 with their, with the, the, what their explanations are not consistent with their actions. thank God I'm very happy there are some a lot of wonderful, wonderful people who claim to be non-believers, but yet th- that that strong instinct of tove they follow because they are good people and um, it just it's out of sync. their explanations don't make sense in line with what they are, uh, even if they claim I'm doing it just because it makes me feel good. but I honestly believe that they're lying about that. Um, consciously, subconsciously, I just don't think it 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 fits. Just like people who have a munah can lie about it, they steal, even though they have a munah. Rav gives everybody their due because people have a way of of of, of this of having this junction between their their speech and their thoughts and actions. So, what is it? It is a sense that of some other good and bad that cannot be defined by anything physical whatsoever. There is good, just like aesthetics can't be defined by 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 things, and it's a, a, and it's an idea of sorts that it, it's hard to put it into the realm of of one-on-one experience of taste, smell, uh, sight, and so on. It's good and bad is one step above that. It relates to something good and bad that is not at all um, in, in the realm of the physical. Where do we, where does that come to us? Where does the um, sense of, uh, in, in, in those, I can understand through an evolutionary process, having a developed, uh, a sense of mo'il. In other words, A equals B equals C equals D. Schooling equals job equals money, equals many, many more chocolates. And um, that is still somewhere along the line Leverage on top of physical feedback. But this is something that's completely separate. And the answer, the, the, the most powerful answer is we have a part of our self that is not of this world. It is not, just like in this closed, in the closed physical world that our physical senses are aware of, there's no mochum for tov, in any sense that is other than um, that is other than physical, th- th- there is another world that is where there is Tov and Ra in a very different sense, the moral good and bad that we talk about, and the part of our souls that, that that organ that senses it is called the nesama or the conscience. Um, and and uh, the part of our self, nefesh, the ruach, neshamah, whatever part of, part of neshamah that person has and is aware of gives him the sensation of the tov and the ra.
1: Yes. Um, so that that suggests that it's coming from, the, there's a neshamah, so there's sort of this objective tov in the world. Yes. And that we're in touch with that because we have a neshama, and our neshama is aware of that. Yeah. So Rebbe said earlier that Rebbe's not going to go into the details of how th- people have different definitions for what tov is and what this and that. So if we're talking about an objective world of tov that we're in touch with through our neshama, or nevis, whatever you want to call it, so how could there be different versions of what tov is?
0: Very good question. And let me ask the, another question. When a person comes along and tells you, <coughs> um, I follow the, well, I will follow my conscience, and that will guide me to the good and to the bad. So, in other words, the person admits, yes, there is a higher type of good and bad, and I will follow my, but I will use my conscience. The answer to that is as follows. Just like a person, let's let's use an example, a person, people have inborn musical skills. There are kids that at the age of four touch a piano <coughs> and instantly know how to play it. Um, I once saw recently a, a, um, a film of a, um, of a six-year-old prodigy playing stuff and so on. And, you know, when he asked the question, like, how do you know how to play? Something like them well, bewildered. Well, 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 it's just very simple. You, you know, it, it goes like this. It goes like that. Um, so, so when we come to things in the nature that are less physical, like aesthetics, every person has a sense of aesthetics or music. The rare person has it in a in a world of Chachma. No, this doesn't sound right. This beat has to come for that. This and that and the other. Some people at the other extreme are just dead. They all music sounds alike to them. All 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 physical objects look alike to them. There's no. But for the vast majority of the people. The sensation is vague and until you don't give it a structure of chachma, you don't build it out. So when a person takes a course in college for art appreciation or music appreciation, then he is, begins to understand what it is that his sensations are relating to. Why is it? And then he's able to get a very clear Structure for the um, the euphonic versus the dysphonic. Um, what's why do things that sound good? It's because they have the following structure or structures. Um, and same thing with art. So a, a, a conscience is the basis. It's the sensation that feels good and bad. But we don't have a clear structure. It's a very muddled sensation. And except for the Yachid, except for the Avram Avinu who was, had such a strong and powerful sense that he could build out on torah for most of us, we need to flesh it out with Seichel to, to put it, to give it its proper framework. So the sensation itself, the root sensation is in us, and that means we have a pawn in us that is Our Ourself is a muddled combination of the physical, the spiritual, etc., etc. It's a very vague organ, and we cannot, and that's why in its own right, it cannot serve as the guide for what is good or bad. Um, the, so we have in us a, 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 structure related to Tov and Ra, and Tov and Ra is something beyond, um, this world. The, um, I, would like to go back one point and just give another thought experiment as how it is that we, um, we relate to Tov and Ra of the moral as being different than the Tov and the Ra of just the feeling of the conscience or just the, the um, you know, it, it, it just a feeling which it's bad because we don't like it and it's good because we like it. Let's take a martial, let's take an example. Um, mo- many of us have different fears. Um, afraid, some people are, are afraid of heights, some people are afraid of dogs, some people are afraid of, clo- some people are claustrophobic. We all have, Many of us have different phobias, and someone comes over to me and asks me, "Are you scared of heights?" And I will say, "Yes. Um, I to walk up more than two steps on a ladder, I get tizzy. So now, he and uh, and he will come to me and say, "Well, let me tell you something. I'm a psychologist. I have a way of curing people of phobias, and in ten easy lessons of an hour apiece, I will." explain to you the mechanism, how to work with it. You will do exercise that will uh, overcome that fear, and every time you walk up four steps, you don't think going to break your neck, and you'll just be comfortable. At the end of 10 easy lessons, you will be able to sit up a flagpole 100 a feet up, and <coughs> dance on top a uh, uh, horror. Would you be interested? Um, my only question would be how much he charges. I'd be very happy to do it, because I recognize that this fear is curbing me, and if I didn't have it, I'd have a lot more freedom. I'd be able to, to shine up flagpoles. Um, I, whatever it is, Or I'd be able, a person who's shy and he can't address a large audience, and I tell him, listen, um, you know, it's just a, it's just a, it's a, just a, a fear. And I can deal with phobias. So until now, you are scared to get up in front of a hundred people and talk to them, you're gonna be able to address thousands without fear. People pay a lot of money for that and they're very happy. Now, so he comes along to me and says, by the way, um, would you like to make a lot of money? And I say, yes. And he says, well, you know, people leave in a in a large hall, in a large hotel. There, there will be hundreds of coats on the coat rack. Why don't you just go to the pockets and take the wallets? Today everything's credit cards, but in the old days there was cash actually in wallets, and you could help yourself. You can clean out uh, an entire uh, wedding hall and uh, come back, uh, come away with a few thousand dollars. I'll say, well, I I, I, I don't like stealing. It makes me feel yucky, and and the psychologists will say, well, that's just another phobia. And in 10 easy lessons, uh, you will be able to to make the rounds. You'll be able to go to New York and go from wedding hall to wedding hall, clean out all the pockets with all the wallets and, and you'll sleep like a baby at night. You won't even think twice about it. Would you be willing to do it? And we would say, no, why? Because it's terrible, it's bad. And the psychologist would say, no, you feel it's bad. You feel it's terrible, but I'm gonna show you how you teach yourself it shouldn't be. Let's take something a little simpler. Um, we spoke before about getting up in front of an audience and addressing a thousand people. Most of us would be very, very nervous to address a thousand people. And we have butterflies in our stomachs and get very very nervous, and um, we will say to us, tell ourselves, um, if I can only learn how to overcome this fear, I would gladly do it. Let's say we have an inborn sense we don't like to be chutzpided, we don't like to speak um, things that are not kind about other people, we don't like to do thing, we don't like to say things that are coarse. And it and it obstructs us. In business it's very, very helpful if you can be chutzpatic, if you can say mean things about other people, and you can use coarse language. So the guy and I not doing very well in business because I, I'm I'm lacking severely deficient in all three areas. And the guy tells me, Well, I'll teach you how to speak publicly, no fears in your stomach. I'll teach you how to be chutzbedick, no fear in your stomach. I'll teach you how to say kind of snide things about the competition. No no, no fear in your stomach, etc. I will say the first one, yes, I'll three not. But why not? Because I, I feel it that I feel that it's wrong. And psychologists, well after ten lessons you won't feel it's wrong. But we don't we honestly think and, and I include all good evolutionists in the same thing and all good Kofrim bec- they feel that it's wrong, wrong, wrong and and and, and w- the psychologist who who will deaden their conscience is actually castrating a, 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 a positive sense out of them rather than getting rid of an of, of a negative thing. We honestly feel that we believe it that way. And that good and bad is a good and bad that is not physical. It is spiritual. It relates to a different dimension of feelings and sensations. And our conscience is the um, organ, the faculty of our mind, psyche, whatever you wish, that gives us a sensation of that. But it's not the sensation, the reason is not because the sensation is bad. The bad sensation is really the, um, the the, um, the bad sensation is, is the sign of it. Yes?
1: So, I mean... I haven't looked too much into this, but I believe there are people in this world who really do, like, quote-unquote, deprogram themselves to get rid of these, quote-unquote, phobias of stealing and, you know, immorality and whatever you want to call it. So I would really say that because, at least I assume that they are the minority, and they have to quote-unquote deprogram themselves whereas n- normally people have those feelings right that <coughs> itself suggests that yes there is dis- exactly there is the norm dis- is
0: that way and every single person i'm talking to my gut feeling is that any person who's listening to this doesn't hon- honestly believes what i'm saying Um, you know th- like we said before we, we can never do absolute proof it's always like is the one person <coughs> in africa who stands on his head the normal person and we just have a hang up about it or vice versa I, I honestly believe the norm definitely tells us very strongly that way, and the fact that people forever have have looked for the answer to right and wrong, understanding it as such, and even modern-day so-called non-believing scientists believe in right and wrong in their hearts for sure. Now this acts ex- now the, this in a certain sense this dilemma about good is one of the oldest dilemmas. And it was posed by, uh, I guess, Plato put it in Socrates' mouth. And um, he, uh, you know, in, in one of the dialogues, one of the early dialogues, Plato, it's called Euripides, or I'm not very good at pronouncing, I never, I've never heard the pronunciation, I read it, so you'll have to, um, Euripides, or however it goes. And, and it goes as follows, um, Socrates is in a courthouse together with somebody else facing a trial it, it, you know Socrates is being accused of doing wrong and this Euripides is accused of well what he's doing is he's, he's handing over his father who he believes is a murderer to the authorities and half his family is saying that he's a terrible person because he's ratting against his own family and they get into a discussion of right and wrong now so Socrates um, like well, most of his dialogues, the other guy is very sure of himself, and poor Socrates is is the kind of nevish. Uh, I really don't know anything. And he asks him, Oh, I'm so glad to meet somebody who understands what right and wrong is, because I have this trial and I've got to prove that I did no wrong. So first, um, first he gets a very vague definition about right and wrong. He's, you know, he says, Well, I just feel what's right, and I can tell you immediately if it's right or wrong. So Socrates him a little bit about that. So the poor guy comes on to another definition, and he says, right is that which the gods like. That is pious. Piety, I think pious is the translation of the word, is what the gods like. Pious are good. And Socrates says it's a great definition. First thing he has a problem is that the gods are all, the Greek gods were always busy doing all sorts of terrible things, and they, and everybody thought, the other every god thought the other god was a bad guy. So he comes to the conclusion that it's what all the gods like. But then Socrates poses a very powerful question, which uh, is really, really at the core of, um, of, of the it, truth. It's a question that Areopomus still exists, and uh, something we we, it, we need to address it at some point in the framework that he has it. But I'm using it more as <coughs> an analogy to what we're talking about. He said, that which the god the gods like, that is piety. So, Socrates said, let me get this straight. Do the gods like the good or the pious because it's good or pious? Or that which the gods like is good and is pious? M- meaning as follows. Um, is good and bad an objective entity which cannot which it's it's like saying it it's it's it it is uh, it's like saying one and one and two and three and four, which the gods can only subscribe to it and um, and therefore it, so just like for instance the way we understand aesthetics or music or anything of that nature, we understand there's a world of beautiful music and and things that are aesthetically appealing and the people who have the the artists have a sense of it. It's not the artist's whim and dictate that declares um, that this music shall be considered good music, but rather there is something called good music. People have different levels of being able to perceive it, and the great musician has a very fine sense of rhythm, of beat, of melody, uh, of, of, of harmony, etc. Um, so good and bad are objective criteria that have nothing to do with gods. And the gods happen to be one of the many attributes. Besides being strong and cute and everything else, they also like um, goodness. So, so it's 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 what we call in Gemara language a simen, not a seba. Just if you want to know what is aesthetically pleasing, look at what the great um, refined aesthetes um, live in, and that's aesthetically pleasing. Or no, um, it's like the law of the land. Something is legal not because the, the, the congressmen have a refined sense of what is legal and they're putting down uh, their observations about what is the good that man shall follow. The law of the land is that which Congress has voted, decided, and signed them by the president, etc. So is it just the whim of the gods? And that's called good and bad. So good and bad don't have any real meaning of their own. That's, that's the dilemma that Plato put down and it's a, it's a very, very powerful point, very powerful dilemma, uh, different approaches to it, but I don't mean to speak about it in terms of God yet because it's not really discussion, but in terms of man. In other words, the good that we see in ourselves, the conscience, it's not, so let's reframe that in ourselves is is, are the good middles and tovim good because our conscience is pleased by it? Well, that would um, basically turn it into the same quality as chocolate ice cream versus vanilla ice cream. I, for that, it is definitely wrong. But rather, as far as humans are concerned, because it's good in a very different setting our conscience, less neshama, less nefesh, is able to be pleased by it. For us, certainly the answer is that because it is good, that's why we feel a, a, a positive sense of it. So let's sum up the point that we're trying to make in this one. And In my mind, uh, on the personal level, like I said before, everyone has his own things that, moving the most. To me, of all the arguments that we've made until now, and all the points I think that we will make on this topic, to me it's the most powerful of the um, points. The reason is because it, it, it goes to the heart of it. My, everybody's positive if it's sense towards Torah, or Baruch religion, is based half on the personal experience. And it's it's because we feel tfilla, anava, hatsdeleches, tayra, hashkav yadel um, kedusha. All of those things, living that life, we feel very positive about it. And we and and we also try to buttress our understanding to with through outside arguments. But this is going to the core of it. What is this world that I feel so strongly about? And it's not a personal quirk. What is what is it that makes a person um, sacrifice for ideals? Um, is it because it feels good? Giving your life up for the ideal of justice, to save the innocent victim from the murder, etc. Is it really because it makes you feel good? It's hard to say that. I mean, if you die in the process, the feeling good doesn't last very long. Um, So that's hard to translate. Is it because for humanity it will do good? I once once had a discussion, a very interesting discussion with a young person. We were speaking about, he was a young boy, 18, 19 at the time, long time ago, doesn't believe in anything and so on. Fine. He was born in a traditional family, I guess. And then he was very, very passionate about fighting against apartheid. And I said, if nothing that is... Nothing exists but what we are and what we feel. Why would I asked him? Would you go to South Africa to fight for the rights of the black people? And said yes. I said, Why would it hurts you that other people are being hurt there? And I understand that, but do you think it'll hurt? Do you think it'll hurt more than you yourself being clobbered by the apartheid regime and somebody putting you in a cell and torturing you? So what's the justification of your sacrificing your feeling good for someone else's feeling good? And he thought about it. He said, "Well, they are many, and I'm one. So giving up my pleasure will give ten other people more pleasure, which is a silly s- s- argument. It's all right because <laughs> my pleasure counts for anything else in the world. In the world of pleasure, ten people eating chocolate ice cream doesn't doesn't give my mouth any flavor of chocolate ice cream. So he's, so I said, so I have another great idea for you. I said, check into a hospital. You're a healthy young boy." and ask them to c- dissect you and give out 10 organs so that 10 other people live. You can give your heart to one person, your lungs to two people, your kidneys to two people, y- your liver can go many directions, and and uh, your blood can, can go, so, so you are basically, your life is helping other people. You're not going to do that because your life comes first. I said, let me tell you what's at work. There's the concept of injustice that is above anything physical. And somewhere along the line, you sense it is worth sacrificing physical existence for justice. Because justice is something that transcends it. You, you don't <coughs> have feelings working on you, whether you like it or not, whether you proclaim you don't believe it. There's something that transcends the physical here and now. And we sense it, and we live it, and we feel good about it. There are many people who, who are from and have issues, but they say, I don't want, I wouldn't I can't see my kid doing anything but that. For him to be able to sit himself down next to Gumar and learn by Smother and, and Ligan learning, there's something good about it that I don't want to deprive him. I want my daughter to have, somebody was telling me, a person is for many reasons, doubts, but doesn't let, didn't let his family on in it, and and he lost a uh, sister, and his daughter, a six-year-old, came from Ghana, and she said, Daddy, you look so sad let me sing a song for you and she sang a song from kindergarten about Hashem has a plan for everything and we shouldn't be sad and he said you know why would I want to take that away from my child you know fortune is the person who has such a muna and we, we, we don't think it's just naïve there's something about us that, <gasps> that sees it as MS. and that speaks to me that speaks of, of the different world the world where there's good and bad, in a sense that has no sages to the Arave and no sages to the moil, it is tov, we're fortunate to have some sense of it, and that sense speaks of the existence of something that transcends all physical, and it's a very powerful real existence, because we're willing to do tremendous things for it, and um, we're willing to give up the physical for that vague unknown Transphysical. Okay, so basically that's been, so So our point has been the hisboniness as far as that the world contains another dimension that not only is it not physical, bec- but it doesn't translate into physical the way the efficient translates. The very physical world is the, the, the arev, the, 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 the primary sensations of pleasant, unpleasant. There is the more abstract, what we call efficient, which is that which leads lead to something, which will lead to something, so on and so forth, and that is, um, that is more than physical world, but it's still not a different world, and then there is a world of good and bad, which transcends all of it, and th- that is of the essence of Akkadosh Baruch Hu. that is the type of thing that is Akkadosh Baruch Hu. Um, okay,